And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show, another episode of my show, The Final Point. A couple of things I want to jump right into. Uh, the NBA. The NBA is looming with the playoffs. There's only a few games left. A lot of, you know, a few teams are tied. So position-wise, whether it's the seven or the AC, those are going to be positions that switch off based on, you know, if you win one more game than the other. Uh, but it really doesn't matter because right now the Warriors are the uh, number one seed. And right now Oklahoma City looks like they're the eighth seed, and that looks like that's going to be the premier matchup in the first round. What I've done is I've looked at the eighth seed and the one seed, which would be Golden State. And if the playoffs started right now, arguably be OKC and Golden State right now, if the playoffs started right now. OKC won 43 wins, 31 losses. Golden State had 50 wins, 23 losses. The question is, when I look at Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City has a lot more, has a lot more work to do. You know, they were an AFC. They got some good all-stars over there. They got a decent basketball team. The question is, is it good enough to beat five all-stars for Golden State? And realistically, no. Can it happen? Maybe. But I don't think so. I don't think Oklahoma City has enough to beat Golden State at this time. If you look at Oklahoma City, if you look at their record as far as on the road, they have won, they went 20 and 19 so far. As of today, they went 20 and 19. So they won just as much as they lost on the road. That's not a very good home, that's not a very good road team because they're going to start out in Oakland. Golden State went 24 and 12 on the road so far, and they're 26 and 11 at home. So they're just as good at home as they are on the road. When you look at points per game, Oklahoma City can score. They've averaged 114 points this year, but Golden State averaged 117 this year. So when you look at it from that standpoint, the only way Oklahoma City is going to beat Golden State is maybe one of three things. One, they have to play defense on all five starters, which I think is impossible. Number two, they got to beat Golden State to every rebound. They got to get it done at the free throw line. And they got to make shots. So that's four things instead of three. They got to make shots. That's the key to beating Golden State. You got to make shots. You have to rebound. You have to play defense. That's, that's the only way. Now, ideally, going back to Oklahoma City, OKC wants to have a split in that series. They want to win one, and we all know they're going to lose one in Golden State. So going back to OKC, they want that split because I think that's going to give them the momentum they need to be competitive when game three starts and potentially game four because I don't see Oklahoma City beating Golden State four games out of seven. I don't see it. I don't think that they have enough. Uh, I think they're going to need an all-star, so, you know, next year. 
They're going to need an all-star that's willing to take less money to come to Oklahoma City and help them win. That's the only way. Other than that, Oklahoma City is just going to be that average basketball team. Um, I kind of also want to touch on this. Portland is in trouble. They lost their best player, Jurkic. That's a huge loss for them. Um, and they're expected to play Utah in the first round. I The only thing I can see the Blazers doing is using uh, the guy they picked up from the Knicks. And that's it. That's it. They're going to have to really play well against Utah. I mean, they're going to have to play outstanding. Because without Jurkic, Jurkic makes them so much better, especially down low. It's going to be tough for them. It's going to be very tough for them. Very, very tough. Spurs and Nuggets. Now, as of right now, the Spurs are supposed to play the Nuggets. But Oklahoma City and the Spurs are tied 43-31. and 31. Right now, the Spurs are they at home. They're twenty nine and eight. The Nuggets are thirty and six. So if the playoffs started today, the Spurs would have to go on the road and play the Nuggets, a team that's won thirty ball games at home and only lost six. They are the best home team in the Western Conference as far as home wise. That's kind of scary when you look at it from that standpoint because then it comes down to, well, how does a team like San Antonio, in my opinion, they have a horrible, horrible road record. Their record was 14-23 and 23 on the road. That's a horrible, horrible road team. I have no idea how they're going to beat the Nuggets at that point. I'm not saying they don't have a chance. I'm saying I don't know how that's going to get done because it's going to be hard to go up to Denver and beat them two in a row, going back to San Antonio. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying it's going to be a tough challenge. That's going to be the challenge. The challenge is can they go up to Denver and get it done? That's going to be the challenge. Or is it going to be a split? Because either way it goes, Denver is going to be tough to beat. They're young, they're strong, athletic, and I'm going to tell you, you shoot the ball, it's going the opposite way. So defensively, the Spurs are going to have to play awesome defense if they want a chance in the fourth quarter against a very good basketball team like that. It's going to be very tough on San Antonio, very, very tough. And a lot of the teams that are the lower seeds, they have to be better road teams than the top-seeded teams in the series if they want a chance. They have to be. There's just no way you could be a seven seed with a horrible record thinking that you're going to go into Golden State, thinking that you're going to go into Denver, and you're going to win two straight. Not happening. Not happening. Especially in Oakland. Unless Golden State just plays that horrible. Unless Golden State just has a horrible two games, which is highly unlikely, I doubt it. So so Denver and San Antonio, I think it's going to be a good, a good matchup. 
but it's more about San Antonio in that series. If that's the way that is projected to be, because right now Oklahoma City and San Antonio are tied right now. So we'll see how that plays out. But it doesn't make a difference for, for Golden State either way. But I will, in, in the Spurs' defense, if I'm not mistaken, they, they beat up on the Warriors at home in Golden State already, if I'm not mistaken. So, but it's the regular season. So people say, man, it's just a regular season. Man, it's just a regular season. But to me, I think the regular season is just as important as the playoffs. And I say that because of the fact that when you look at the playoffs, it's like, okay, has this team really been exposed? Because when you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, okay, well, we've already beat them in the regular season. What would be the ideal difference any other time that we play them? Any other time that we play them, what would be the difference? We're going to play the same team. We're going to get the same DeMarcus Cousins. We know what Curry's going to do. We know what Draymond's going to do if he don't get kicked out by then. We know what what Klay Thompson's going to do, the perimeter shooter. So ideally, we know what's going to happen based on what the Warriors have done all year and then based on the times that you've played them. So most of the teams that are the lower seeds have already played them twice, once on the road and once at home. So you've already seen what this team can already do at that point. So that's kind of like my observation in that series. It doesn't matter who plays them. I was just telling somebody a couple weeks ago, it doesn't matter what their seed is. It, it, it doesn't matter because they're going to be the same basketball team that we've seen during the season. Nothing's going to change. You have five all-stars. If they were to lose to OKC or San Antonio, there's no way you can explain how do you lose that series? doesn't matter how many games it was, what game it was. How do you lose with five All-Stars? How do you do it? How do you do it? That would be the ultimate question right now. Um, <clears throat> when you look at the Eastern Conference, the Eastern Conference has uh, some tough matchups. Boston and Indiana, that's going to be a really good series. The only thing the Pacers did was add Wesley Matthews, and Wesley Matthews is kind of a band-aid, in my opinion, for uh, Oladipo. Oladipo made Indiana relevant, in my personal opinion, especially last year. He was he was phenomenal. Boston, I think they're going to be okay. I think in this series, and we'll figure it out. The next, the next series. But I think at this particular time when it comes to Boston, Kyrie Irving has to play beyond well. You know, everybody has to play beyond well. I think right now, in my personal opinion, the worst player that's making a ton of money right now is Gordon Hayward. I haven't seen shit since he's came back from his injury. I haven't seen anything. He's averaging like a career low, like 10 points or 12 points a game or something crazy like that. They got to get more out of Gordon Hayward. They gave that man a lot of money. They have to get more out of him. If he does not play like the all-star that Boston sees him as, they're not going to beat Philadelphia. They're not going to beat Milwaukee. 
And so what does that mean? That means that they're not going to even have a chance to win the NBA championship. I don't see it. I don't see it. Al Harford, everybody has to play well. Beyond that, though, because you're going to play against the Philadelphia team, and from top to bottom in the East, in my opinion, I would say Milwaukee and Philadelphia is probably going to be the two teams that play for the Eastern Conference title because those are the two best teams. And if you look at the bottom of the list, what teams have a chance, maybe other than the Pacers, to beat them? Nobody. Nobody has the opportunity to beat them at this point at the rate that they're going. And I thought with the Jimmy Butler deal, Philadelphia got better. They got another score. Now, I'm not saying that they have enough to beat Golden State and win a world championship. I'm just saying that they're going to be a little bit better than what they were last year, for sure. And then, you know, like I said, here we go again. I keep hearing about my Lakers and, and, and LeBron James and all of that. Here's the thing. We're going to be fine, ladies and gentlemen. The first season, look at what LeBron James did when he went to the Heat. What happened when he went to the Heat? They, didn't, they went to the championship, but they didn't win it their first year. But guess what? They went on to win two consecutive championships. Sometimes it doesn't work the first time. But who said it wouldn't work the second time? And who's to say that we won't be that attractive destination in free agency? Well, a lot of people don't want to play with LeBron James. People don't know that. People don't know that. People keep saying that, and that's their assumption, but people don't know that. It's just like for the last two years, they said, well, the Lakers can't get a top free agent. Well, we got LeBron James. Now, out of all the teams LeBron James could have gone, all the meetings LeBron James could have took, and out of all the destinations that he could have went to win a world championship, why did he choose the Lakers? No one can answer that question right now because clearly it wasn't about the money. Because Cleveland would have, would have, would have paid him buku money. So it wasn't about the money, that's for sure. Because a short-term deal, you can get any amount you want on a short-term deal. But he got a bigger deal on the four-year scale with Los Angeles, which to me, Los Angeles is a great place to play. And then I heard the rumor, oh, he should have signed with the Clippers. No, he shouldn't have. No, he shouldn't have. Now, I do agree with some of the critics saying, hey, you got to get rid of Luke Walton. Yes, you do. Because right now, you have to win now. LeBron James had signed a four-year deal, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So right now, year one didn't work. And the year before that didn't work. So Luke Walton's had two years. He's had two years. And he couldn't do nothing with the team. So now you got to fast forward and say, well, who's the best coach we can get right now that can turn this team around? The rumor I've heard is Jason Kidd. I like Jason Kidd there. I think Jason Kidd's a proven coach. I think Jason Kidd has won everywhere he's coached. Everywhere he's coached, he's won. And let's not forget, the Milwaukee team that we see on TV every night is not the coach's team right now. 
That's Jason Kidd's team. Let's be clear on that. So Jason Kidd is a proven coach. I like it there. He's a player's coach. And I, I think it's a, it's a nice fit for the organization if that's the route that they go. But let's not forget, Magic Johnson always has something up his sleeve. This man is committed to winning, and I'm sure the team is committed to winning. And Laker fans, do not give up on Lonzo Ball right now, okay? Do not give up on him. He's one of the biggest guards we have at 6'6". And if you go back to some of the games he's played and what he's done before the injury, he makes a difference as far as being that floor general. Rajon Rondo, we don't know how long we're going to keep him. We don't even know if he's going to re-up. But we know that we got a committed point guard right now. Now, I think Magic Johnson made a mistake as far as alerting the entire world that he's going to trade half the team for Anthony Davis. To me, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it because for this reason, if Anthony Davis, with the trade that we make, if Anthony Davis is not going to give us a world championship right away, why pull the trigger? It makes no sense because now you're going to have to find role players that want to come to L.A., and then you have to worry about chemistry and does it work. Because then if it doesn't work, then now it's a failed mission. We're in year two with the LeBron era, and guess what? How much sense does that even make? Because now we just wasted a whole year, and we just made an experiment that didn't work. So now we're in year two. So I think each year, it's not about getting better. It's about figuring out a way to be that elite team to compete in the West because there's a lot of teams that are really good. Portland's really good. Denver's really good. These are really good basketball teams. And look at San Antonio. San Antonio lost pretty much all their players. And they got a young core over there. And they're a seven seed just to be a young core after you lose all your players. Look at L.A. Clippers. Clippers traded away. Chris Paul, Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, everybody. And they got a young team over there, and, and they're going to be a playoff team. But looking at the promising year that they had this year, the question is, if they're an eight seed this year, how much better could they be next year, and what seed could they be next year? So, so this West, the, the West is tough. It's tough. So I think it's jacked up that people put all this criticism on LeBron James. Look at his track record. We're talking about a team from Cleveland in his second year. You mean to tell me you can win a championship with J.R. Smith? I mean, some sorry players on that roster. I, I'm so baffled, I can't even remember who was on that damn roster. Della Dover or some shit. I mean, you had Kevin Love who, and you, you had Tristan Thompson who, I mean, is just, to me, is the worst. Power forward you can have on your basketball team because he does nothing. They gave him all that money. He's done nothing. That man can't box out Draymond Green to save his life. I am not joking. He cannot do it. Kevin Love, as far as shooting, I don't know what happened to Minnesota. It seemed like he was that premier player, that, that nice threat shooter. But then now it's like, man, get out of here. So 
LeBron James brought a title to Cleveland. I think he can do the same thing in L.A. And let's not forget, don't think that the Warriors are going to stay together after this run. And please don't let them lose. Because if they lose, that team is done. And even if they do win, the bank truck is coming to Clay Thompson's house. I'm telling you right now. My uncle always said, how do you turn down millions? How do you turn down $100 million, $80 million, a max deal? How do you turn that down? And it makes sense for Clay Thompson because he's won three championships, probably going to win four. So if you win four championships and the bank truck comes to your house, that's a hell of a deal. My question is, a lot of people say, too, is about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is this, Kevin Durant is that. My question is, look at what LeBron James did, if you really want to compare, because I keep hearing that over and over again, people want to compare. My question is, is that since people really want to compare, let's, let, let's, let's get down to this. What has Kevin Durant done to make himself that elite player where you could say, hey, you know what, we can win a championship with Durant? Because he had to go to Golden State, a team that was already winning championships long before he got there. So why did he need Golden State to win a championship when he could have went to Boston? Or he could have went to the Wizards. Or he could have went to Philadelphia. He could have went to any team but the Warriors. And then another question I had was, why would you take another meeting with Oklahoma City when you already had it made up in your mind that you were, I don't care what anybody say, he had it made up in his mind that he was not going back to Oklahoma City. I don't care what anybody says. He knew that from the jump. That's why he. That's exactly why he made his decision a lot faster, and then he didn't take any meetings from the Lakers, Rockets, or any other team. He could have went to any place, but he chose the Warriors. Well, I like the way they pass the ball. I like the way they do this and that. Yeah, whatever. You know, that's, that, that, to me, that's a cop-out. A real athlete is going to say, look, like LeBron James did, he challenged himself. Just like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan challenged himself. So is the real challenge continuing to stay on Warriors and continue to win? Because, look, what you guys don't understand is that the Lakers won three in a row. And teams got better. And before you knew it, and this was before the Lakers broke up, guess what? Teams were working to beat us. And that's what's going to happen. Teams are stacking up to beat those Warriors every single time. And don't be surprised if Kyrie Irving comes to the Lakers. I'm letting you know now. Don't be surprised if we get Klay Thompson over there. Don't be surprised if somehow we land Anthony Davis. I'm telling you, you heard it first. I'm telling you now. Shifting gears. The NFL draft. I kind of wanted to touch on this because I didn't touch on it on my last on the last episode. Um, the NFL draft. The Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals. It's probably going to take Kyler Murray, which I think they should. Kyler Murray gives them a lot. He may not be that 6'5", 6'6", quarterback, but he gives them a lot. He gives them that Prescott feel. 
to where he can change it up any time, what this guy can do. This guy can throw the ball. He can run. You know, his IQ is really sharp, and he can get the ball out there. And I think a lot of people say, well, you know, what about his accuracy? What about this and that? Yeah, I, people don't care about your accuracy. You know, did people care about Prescott's accuracy? Look at him today. You know, did people care about some of the – nobody cared about Aaron Rodgers' accuracy. And look at him today. No, that doesn't matter. They're still going to draft you number one. You're still going to go in there. You're still going to be that guy. And you know what? Kingsbury, that's a quarterback coach anyway. So I think he's going to do well. Now, are they going to get more than five wins? That remains to be seen. It's all about their signings and how well they move in the, and how well they move in the draft. That's what it's going to come down to. San Francisco, I got San Francisco taking Nick Bosa. I like that. I like that pick for San Francisco because they added D Ford and with those two edge rushers there, um, I think they have to have them. They have to have Nick Bosa. They have to draft him because the division they play in, they're playing the Seahawks, they're playing the Rams, they're playing the Cardinals, and they've got to be able to get pressure on these quarterbacks. So I, I believe that with Bosa and D Ford, I think it makes a lot of sense for San Francisco. And their edge rushing will be a lot stronger. The Jets, outside linebacker Josh Allen from Kentucky, I like that pick for a couple of reasons. One, they don't have to draft a quarterback anymore. They sold that up. Two, they added C.J. Mosley also. So they're going in the right direction defensively, and they have to because they're playing the Patriots. They're playing a lot of the – uh, they're playing the Dolphins. They're playing a lot of those AFC teams that are pretty good, or at least they appear to be pretty good, or they just get lucky on Sundays. That's that's kind of what it boils down to. But I like that pick for the Jets, but I also like that pick for the Raiders, um, just on the fact that they lost Khalil Mack, but they added some people, so maybe they don't need them. Um, but I like the Raiders here at number four. They're taking Quinnen Williams. Defensive tackle out of Alabama. I like that. I like that pick also just because uh, I think he can stop the run. I think that's a, a run stopper there, and they're going to need that. I wish, I wish that Oakland probably could have got more um, offensive tackle because my question is this, is that if you're the quarterback of the Oakland Raiders and you're Derek Carr, more likely – John Gruden should get some pass protection for a couple of reasons. One, as an organization, you're giving this guy the keys to lead this football team because the first time that they lose is the first time you're going to put the blame on him. The organization is not going to take blame. But if that's the circumstance that Carr is going to be under, my question is provide this man with some type of pass protection. So if they didn't get Williams, and if that wasn't the route they would go, I think with the number four pick, because they do have another pick later on in the draft, I would go get some offensive tackle. And I would take the best tackle on the board to protect my guy. If this is the quarterback you invested. And, and let's say they decide Carr is not the guy. At least whatever quarterback you bring in or what quarterback you sign, whatever quarterback you draft, at least you know he's going to be protected because you drafted some linemen. My opinion. My opinion. But you can't go wrong with defense because defense does win championships. So you can't go wrong. Either pick, you can't go wrong. So I like 
that pick for the Raiders at number four. Number five, Devin White out of LSU, the inside linebacker. Now, key note here on this pick, it's interesting because he ran a 4-4-2 in the combine, and I think it's a good pickup for this reason. They lost Alexander to free agency, and I believe he's in San Francisco. So I think that kind of fits the – I'm not saying he replaces Alexander. I'm saying that he fits the mold. He fits, he fits maybe whatever gap they have in Tampa as far as that position. And that's at number five. Number six, I like the New York Giants taking Dwayne Haskins. Now, this is going to be a tricky, tricky deal for the Giants because I know the Giants really want Haskins. The question is, what team is going to be bold enough to trade up in front of the Giants and take Haskins? If that was the case, strategically, if that was the case, what are the Giants willing to give up to get the guy that they really want? And if, let's suppose, somebody trades up, they really want Haskins, they trade up and they get him, at number six, that means that what direction does the Giants go in after that? Do they go and get maybe a defensive player and then wait until their 17th draft pick that they acquired from the Browns? Do they wait and then get a quarterback at number 17? Or do they, or do they trade their 17th pick, get some additional picks, address some issues in the later rounds, and get their quarterback that they want at number six? for the trade of the number 17 pick. So with the Giants having two first-round picks, my point is they have a lot of flexibility to trade up, to trade down, to do whatever they want to do. But if they're going to secure that pick, it's hard for me to see that somebody would trade up to get Haskins, but it's, po it's possible. If there's a team below six, if there's a team below six that really wants Haskins, they're going to jump above the Giants to get him. So the Giants have a lot to worry about in this draft at number six. The 17 pick gives them a lot of options. So if Haskins is not there, they could go with an offensive tackle or an edge rusher and then use, again, like I said earlier, you can use uh, at number 17, you can draft a quarterback at number 17. If they feel there's a quarterback there at number 17, that can fit the direction that the Giants are trying to go. Because I think Eli Manning has one year left on his deal, and I think they're going to be done with that situation over there. So the Giants have a lot to figure out at number six. At number seven, the Jags get Jawan Taylor, offensive tackle from Florida. He's actually the top tackle in this draft. So, for me, if I'm Oakland, just because I have so much invested into the quarterback, this is a guy I'm taking off the board before Jacksonville. That's just my opinion. Just on the fact that you need protection. This is the top tackle taken off the draft. That's somebody that would be on my radar. But this is what the, the Jags have. Now, Jacksonville drafting this guy is a, is a clear-cut pick for them, and it's a great draft pick for them because they invested so much into Nick Foles. And so the commitment to, to Foles and then turn around drafting that tackle for protection, that's, that's going to make a big difference in their offense. They got, some key, they got some good weapons over there in Jacksonville, some good weapons over there. Now it's a matter of can, can Nick Foles be your guy, be your leader, 
get that team winning again. You got Fournette. The key for Jacksonville is Fournette. Can Fournette stay healthy? I mean, I had him on my fantasy team. This guy was hurt today. He was hurt tomorrow. He'd come back, and then he's hurt again. Oh, man, come on. Hopefully this guy stays healthy. If he can stay healthy, the Jacks, the Jacks could be back where they, where they once were at one particular time. Detroit Lions at number eight. I only got the top eight, but at number eight, defensive end Montez Sweat. I like that pick. He had 11 and a half sacks for Mississippi State last year. 11 and a half sacks. The interesting thing about that is he plays in a conference, the SEC conference, which is a very, very difficult conference to play in if you're any team other than Alabama. So this man had 11 and a half sacks in the SEC and then turned around in the combine and ran a 4-4-1 and the man is 260 pounds. How do you not select that guy? How do you not select that guy? And then you lost Ansa, I believe, your other end. He's in free agency. So Montez Sweat would be a great fit in Detroit. He's a great fit. I like that pick. That's my top eight in that NFL draft. Now, let's shift gears. I'm going to close this out now with the NCAA tournament. I hope some of you didn't have your brackets busted. I almost did because I had Duke. Duke scared me. And if you have Duke as your, as your pick to win it all, you can't tell me you didn't damn near have a heart attack. Because, I mean, they shit was about to be done. Because if that guy would have had that right-hand layup and if it would have fell in the way he laid it up, it would have been all over with for Duke. But thank God it didn't happen. But I also want to talk about Aubrey Dawkins for UCF. That guy was, he played out of his mind. UCF, I didn't realize how good UCF is. That's a really good basketball team over there. That's a really good basketball team. Dawkins had 32 points, and we're talking about a very good Duke team from top to bottom, top to bottom, and he put up 32 points against the best players from Duke that the ACC has to offer other than North Carolina. That's a pretty good basketball player, really good basketball player. He went 12 of 18. He actually shot better than Zion Williams, who had the same amount of points but went 12 of 24. And here's a funny stat. UCF scored, they outscored Duke 40 to 33 in the second half. So when you look at it from that standpoint, that means that Duke outscored them in the first half. So if Duke didn't have a really good first half, chances are they probably would have lost to UCF. And that would have been probably one of the biggest upsets. That would have been one of the biggest upsets. And congratulations also to St. Mary's. St. Mary's lost to Villanova. However, they played really well against a, a very good Big East team. A very that was a that was a hell of a job. Hell of a, they didn't get blown out. I think they lost by six or seven points, something to that degree. But they did really well. Very well. I was very impressed with the way they played. Murray State, and I know I said this in my last podcast. And I and I meant that. Murray State's tough. Murray State's tough. 
And if if you had Murray State losing, you know who they are now. Houston is pretty tough. That's another tough team. Now what we're looking at is, is you're looking at Duke, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Kentucky, the list goes on. Here's the question. Now they're in the Sweet 16. This is where it counts. This is where it counts. And it's like, okay, well, Kentucky. Arguably the better team in the SEC right now, basketball-wise. In my opinion, they are, from what I've seen. How much is that going to matter going into the next round? Because when you're playing in the – that means you're going to play against some of the top 16 some, – some of the top 16 teams have already qualified for the, for the Sweet 16. So you're looking at Kentucky – you're looking at Duke, some of the top teams who were already in the top 25 rankings anyway last year. But from that perspective, it's like, okay, well, you got a lot of these teams that are good, but they're not great. And upsets exist. So my question is, is when you're a top team in the country, top team in the country, and you got a team like Murray State or some off-the-wall program you never heard of, who play in a shit conference, and then they come in there and they knock you off. How do you explain that when you got the best players in the country? That's kind of a funny thing. And that's what's great about the NC2A tournament is that the NC2A tournament will let the whole world know how good you are. It will let you know how good you really are. Like Virginia. Virginia beat Oklahoma 63-51. They had to. Because if they didn't do that, they'd be gone too. It's a, it's 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 going to be a grinding, it's going to be a grinding situation for a lot of these teams, and it's going to come down to pure luck. Houston is a three seed. They beat Ohio State seventy four fifty nine. Now I want to touch on this Oregon Oregon crap. I, I just want to put this to bed. Congratulations to UC Irvine. Uh, they won their first game, then they moved on to the second round. And unfortunately, unfortunately, they lost to Oregon. But I'm going to tell you this. All these Oregon Duck fans, I, I'm an SC fan, and I'm also a Duke fan when it comes down to basketball, strictly basketball, but I'm, I'm an SC fan across the board. Oregon is not going to win the next round. You heard it first. Oregon is not going to win the next round. Oregon is not going to beat Virginia. I'm telling you now, it is done. So they might as well just pack their shit up and get on because it ain't going to happen. They're not going to be unless, – unless Virginia plays shitty like they did in the first half in their last game, that's the only way. That's the only way they're going to win. And I'm only saying that because I can't stand Oregon any damn way. Washington against North Carolina. Wow, that was a blowout. I had to turn the TV. That was a blowout. Texas Tech and Buffalo, that that was another blow. I think that was a 20-point game. And uh, matter of fact, let's talk about this too. Who the hell is Liberty University? And how many of you guys had Liberty University playing 
playing in the, in, in this in the, going into the second round of this tournament because I didn't have them. I don't even know who the hell Liberty University is, to be honest. And that's kind of the intriguing thing that I talked about in my last podcast was that you're going to have somebody. We don't know who it is. Somebody is going to be that team that either we never heard of or we think that's not good. Guess what? They're in the second round. Just like Loyola of Chicago last year. I think they went all the way to the Final Four. So it's anything is possible in this tournament. Anything is possible. Iowa and Tennessee, that game was so good, it went into overtime. 83-77 was the final. That goes to show you how good that Iowa team is and how strong that Big Ten is. Same thing with uh, Houston. Houston beat Ohio State 74-59. Again, Ohio State, Big Ten. That shows you how good that Big Ten is. Now fast forward to Thursday games. Texas Tech and Michigan, that's going to be a really good basketball game right there because Michigan was really good last year, and I assume that they're, going to, they're, they're a pretty good team this year. As you can see, they're a three seed, and they're in the Sweet 16. Oregon and Virginia, which I just talked about, we know Oregon is going to go down here. Florida State and Gonzaga, that's going to be a really good game because Florida State is tough. That's a tough basketball team. They're going to be really, really good. So I hope that Florida State comes to play because Gonzaga is that good too. But what makes me feel a little funny about Gonzaga is the fact that Gonzaga, St. Mary's kicked their ass. They did. St. Mary's, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. And I don't know. And since that loss, they don't seem like the dominant team that we're used to seeing Gonzaga be. So we'll see what happens with Florida State. And then you got Purdue and Tennessee. That's another good game. Purdue is tough. I just talked about how good that Big Ten is. The Big Ten got Purdue. They're a three seed. And they are in the in Michigan. So you had Ohio State, Michigan, Purdue. The list goes on. Um, that's a tough conference, that, that Big Ten. Moving on to the other games, LSU and Michigan State, and that's going to be this Friday. That's a good game right there. Virginia Tech and Duke. This is intriguing. This is intriguing because Duke and Virginia Tech have already played, I think, twice this year. That's going to be an interesting game. And the reason why I say it's going to be interesting is because Virginia Tech already knows, they already know how good Duke really is. And they've played each other, so it's not nothing new. I think the preparation for Virginia Tech is going to be solid, and I think this game is going to be a lot closer than what we think. They have it um, as a seven-point seven spread. Duke has given Virginia Tech seven points. I think it's going to be closer than that. I think it's going to be closer than that. I'm not saying Duke is going to lose, but I think that's going to be a very, very tough and close game. Houston and Kentucky, I like that game too. This is this is what it's going to come down to in this Houston-Kentucky game. Houston has played some pretty good basketball teams this year. The question is, is how good are they against an elite number two seed in Kentucky? How good are they? That is going to be the question. How We're going to find out just how good Houston is now that they've got to play Kentucky on Friday. We're going to find out. 
Auburn and North Carolina. Auburn, they're winning ball games, ladies and gentlemen. They're winning. Pearl got them playing. Pearl got them playing. Okay. But now you got to play a very tough North Carolina. Number one seed. So we're going to find out just how good Auburn is on Friday. We're going to find out. And ladies and gentlemen, that's my time. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. And we'll see you next week on another edition of The Final Point.